Today, we'll be covering one of the top unsolved murder cases in recent Japanese history. Around 11 p.m. on December 30th, 2000, a mysterious figure crept through the quiet streets of Setagaya toward the Miyazawa family home. The family of four was comfortably inside, unaware that their lives were about to be savagely taken. The brutal nature of the murders and mysteriousness of the case not only sent shockwaves across Japan, but also throughout the entire world. It's been over two decades now, and the suspect still roams free. So join us today as we ask ourselves, who's behind the Miyazawa family murders? Miyazawa family relocated to Kamisashigaya Street in Setagaya, Tokyo in 1991. During that time, the area was a vibrant cityscape boasting over 200 residential buildings. Their home consisted of three separate levels, the first floor, second floor, and a furnished attic space only accessible through a small folding ladder. The first floor was comprised of the office and garage, while the second floor contained the living room, kitchen, bathroom, and kids' room. The furnished attic served as the parents' bedroom and living quarters. The family consisted of Makio Miyazawa, an office worker, Yasuko, a home tutor, Nina, their eight-year-old daughter, and Ray, their six-year-old son. The family enjoyed this comfy home in the lively community, the children also cherished moments spent at the nearby Choo Choo train park playing with other children. However, the neighborhood's bustling atmosphere soon diminished as residents gradually departed, succumbing to the city's acquisition of land for future development. People started migrating to other cities until only a handful of residents remained. Sensing the neighborhood was becoming a ghost town, Mikio finally decided to leave the neighborhood as well. He sold his land to the city and prepared to move, but Yusuko expressed concern about the potential impact on the children's development. Eventually, Mikio agreed, and they chose to stay in the dwindling neighborhood. Unfortunately, this decision would prove to be fatal, costing the entire family their lives. On the night of December 30th, 2000, around midnight, the window in the second floor bathroom slowly opened. A shadowy figure snuck through the opening into the Miyazawa family home. He slowly exited the bathroom and crept around the corner to young Ray's bedroom, where he found the little boy fast asleep. The stranger then immediately strangled the child as he slept, using his bare hands. Kyo had stayed up late working on his computer downstairs when he began hearing thuds and noises coming from his son's room. He quickly got up and began to approach the stairs to check on his son. It was there he was met face to face with the intruder. Akio was caught off guard and began to sustain multiple stab wounds in his arms, chest, face, and thighs. It's believed that Akio fought viciously, but due to his blood loss and weakened state, ultimately, the murderer took his life. After Akio succumbed, the dark figure moved throughout the house where he would find the folding ladder to the attic. He climbed the ladder and found the mother and daughter sleeping in their bed with no way out. 
He walked slowly toward them and then stabbed them multiple times in the neck and face. The razor-sharp sashimi knife that he was using to stab his victims suddenly broke. It's presumed that after this knife broke, he went back downstairs to the kitchen and found another larger knife to finish off the mother and daughter. While he went in search of the knife, Yasuko grabbed Nina in her arms and tried to escape their nightmare. Unfortunately, due to the small ladder being the only way out, the girls didn't make it far. The stranger caught up to them at the bottom of the stairs and delivered their final blows. What's worse is that eight-year-old Nina's first and third tooth were missing, suggesting she was also brutally beaten. Bloody tissue was also found lying on the floor, alluding to the fact that Yasuka was probably trying to stop Nina's bleeding. It was determined that both mother and daughter died of stab wounds, with Nina's spine being severed. With his horrible deed finally done, the killer then decided to make himself at home. The following morning around 10 a.m., Mikio's mother, who lived nearby, decided to walk over to her son's house and check on the family. When they didn't answer the door, she decided to head inside. What she would find next would be the most disturbing thing that a mother or grandmother could ever imagine. On the first floor, she would find her son, lifeless, laying in a pool of his own blood. As she panicked and ran upstairs, she would find the remainder of the family brutally murdered in a similar fashion. This scene caused her to scream in terror and run from the house to alert other family members. Detectives knew that the crime scene would be brutal, but nothing could have prepared them for the horrifying and strange evidence they would find. The police would put together the following theory based on the evidence they found. After murdering the entire family that night, the killer decided to go into the kitchen and bizarrely help himself to a few cups of ice cream. He then grabbed a bottle of barley tea and used a band-aid to patch one of his wounds, most likely from one of the knives. Then at some point, he went to the storage area on the first floor and searched through the family's documents. He pulled out all the drawers and examined their contents one after another before dumping them in the bathtub on the second floor. He also trashed Yasuko's handbags and then threw Mikio's house keys into the toilet, where he had defecated earlier. Additionally, a white towel coated in the murderer's blood and an emptied ice cream cup were also poured in. He then made his way back downstairs and connected to the internet around 1 a.m. using Mikio's computer. He went as far as to create a new folder on the desktop and visited a movie theater's website. For years, the police believed that the killer fled around 10 a.m. This was due to the fact that Mikio's computer connected to the internet again at this time. This means that the suspect would have literally passed Mikio's mother Satsuka on the street as she was arriving and he was leaving. However, investigators made a shocking revelation later in 2014 when they said the second connection was actually an accident. Apparently, in Satsuka's panic, she accidentally bumped or dropped the computer mouse, which then slipped under the table and woke up the computer, connecting it to the internet. To prove this theory, the Japanese police recreated this with the same model of computer that was used. They tested it multiple times, and each time with the same successful result, proving their theory that Satsuka had accidentally caused the computer to wake and that the killer could have left any time between 1.30 a.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning. This new information complicated the case and left police still wondering 
Who was the murderer? On top of all the odd things the killer did inside the home, he also left tons of evidence. It's unclear whether it was deliberate or not, but detectives found a well-used fanny pack with traces of sand from the southwestern United States. Its production origin was traced to South Korea, and strangely enough, although some news stations reported this finding, the police department was silent about it. Another piece of clothing that caught the attention of investigators was his scarf. It was difficult to trace the producer and where it was sold, but police later revealed it was given as a freebie at uniform stores, arcades, and game centers. As for his shoes, the killer wore a British brand, Slazenger, and the model was sold in Japan and South Korea. However, the exact size that the killer wore were only available in South Korea, matching the origin of his fanny pack. His sweatshirt also raised more questions, as only 10 of them were sold in Tokyo and only 130 of them sold worldwide. A hat, jacket, gloves, and two black handkerchiefs were also found and the handkerchiefs had an odd cut down the middle of the fabric. Police believe that the killer used these to wrap the handles of his weapons, since this technique is common for Chinese workers at a fish factory. It's said to prevent the knife from slipping while cutting and filleting meat. Other items that were found were a piece of grip tape used for the surface of skateboards and trace elements of a certain cologne. Among the other evidence found at the scene was his fingerprints, footprints, and the blood-stained towel. And even though over two decades have passed, there still hasn't been any suspects. The police collected the fingerprints of nearly five million people during their investigation, and this group comprised of neighbors, former residents, criminals, family members, and even hospital patients that had wounds on their hands. They also tried DNA testing, but none matched in the system. In 2005, based on DNA evidence, Researchers announced that the assailant was likely to have South European roots. They say that either his mother or grandparents hailed from a country near the Adriatic Sea, and that his father was presumably Chinese, Korean, or Japanese. Armed with this information, the Japanese police then immediately reached out to South Korea to help identify the culprit. But this request was rejected. Police then investigated the physical strength needed to climb the fence and access the second floor window. They say the suspect is most likely between 15 and 35 and stands around five feet, seven inches tall. The hair strands that were found at the scene suggest he had short brown or black hair. They also hinted at a potential military background due to his small steps, similar to a march. While the police were engrossed in this case, two eyewitnesses did step forward. The first was a woman who claimed she was around the crime scene at the time of the murders. She was reportedly driving when she suddenly saw a man walking out of the Miyazawa's house, though she couldn't describe him because he quickly fled the scene. Police later dismissed her account as they couldn't find any blood anywhere near the street. Another witness approached the police a day after the murder he had reported a man with a wound on his arm at a nearby train station. The police also dismissed this information due to the eyewitness claiming the wound was so deep that you could see the bone. This unfortunately didn't fit with the amount of blood and evidence that the police found. Some believe that the criminal was actually a family member or friend 
based on the point of entry and the brutality of the murders. How did he gain access to the Miyazawa family home? While the general consensus is that he entered through the small bathroom window, some investigators disagree. They say he may have walked in through the main entrance due to his fanny pack and jacket showing no signs of wear or abrasion. The window was also intact and no fibers were left on the windowsill. The only other way in the house would be to come through the main door, but this would mean that he was let in and that the door was locked behind him since it was still locked when police arrived. Supporters of this theory say the murderer is likely a family friend, that is, the kind that would be let in even after midnight. Believers of this theory also point to the family member or friend having some sort of grudge or vendetta, which is why the crime was so brutal in nature. They say the killer wasn't an intruder, but someone who was invited in by the family, and that maybe the bathroom window just happened to be open for fresh air. However, this wouldn't explain why they found footprints near the window. Others believe that the Miyazawa family was simply the victim of a robbery gone wrong, and that the killer simply chose their house at random and decided to rob them. The killer may not have even known any of the victims or that children lived there, and that after he broke in, he decided to murder everyone as to not get caught. This could explain why some of the items were rummaged through and why the perpetrator seemed to spend so much time in the house. Some evidence points to him getting away with 150,000 yen, though this only equates to 1,500 US dollars. And many argue that no one would kill an entire family for this meager amount. Moreover, it was found that the killer had plenty of time to steal a lot more money that was left behind in the house, over 190,000 yen. Another popular belief is that the killer was actually an American soldier who was stationed in Japan. They believe this soldier was also a skateboarder who frequented the choo-choo train park near the family's home. With the skaters constantly being noisy and a nuisance in the area, this led to regular arguments between Father Makio and the skaters. This would explain the U.S. dirt found in the bag from possibly a military base in the U.S. He may have also been stationed in South Korea, explaining the clothing he left behind. Supporters of this theory also point out his mixed race that was identified by DNA testing and the fact that there was grip tape found at the scene. Despite all the evidence that he left behind, the suspect has never been identified and no one has ever been caught for these horrible murders. With no strong leads to go off of, the case has grown cold and the possibilities are endless. Law enforcement has now embraced science for the decades-long answer. A research institute in Shizuoka is currently examining the DNA discovered at the crime scene. They're hoping with today's technology that they can identify the culprit's skin color, genes, and facial features to help them crack this case. There's still a 20 million yen reward for anyone with evidence leading to the identification of the killer. The families of the victim will be forever changed and this case will go down in history as one of Japan's most terrifying unsolved murders. Well, that's gonna do it for our episode today. Let us know in the comments what you think happened to the Miyazawa family that night. And if you enjoy this type of content, feel free to like and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on future videos. This year, we'll be uploading twice a week to bring you even more content. We thank you for all the support. This is Josh, and thank you for watching Bizarre Legends.